from the Gospel of John, as we continue on in the Gospel of John, we now have walked through 11 chapters. Today we'll be dealing with chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and turn to chapter 12. Kind of hold that spot there. And as we have the chance to walk through that, you'll have it right in front of you. And feel like, okay, Pastor Lee, you actually are reading from the Gospel of John, not the Gospel of Lee. Which is, a, which is a good thing. Periodically, pastors fall into that problem. We start sharing a little bit of our own gospel accidentally. So, this week is the beginning of the final week for Jesus' life. And John holds the last ten chapters of his 21-chapter gospel for the final week. So, he has done three and a half years in 11 chapters Now he's going to do six days in the next ten. So that gives you a picture of what's going on and how important John views. Remember, it was written some 50 years after. So he's written this about 50 years after the fact. And he's determined, laid out, been consumed by, directed as the Holy Spirit guided him, and determined that this is how it should be put together, and this is what's the most important thing for us to understand. The last three weeks, we dealt with three different areas. One was called, I once was blind, but now I see. And it was about the issue of sight and how God wants us to be able to see what is and what isn't and how we need to live life. Then we moved to the issue of not just blindness, but learning to hear the voice. So we talked about the fact that God wants us, secondly, to hear his voice and to recognize it, that in our walk with him, we should be able to recognize his voice when it speaks to us as opposed to anyone else's voice. My sheep know my voice. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about community and the need for us to be in community with one another, recognizing how God heals us often through one another's interaction and recognition of his presence and his power and his movement in our life. This week, we're going to talk most specifically about the issue of purpose. Say that with me. Say purpose. How many of you would like to know what your purpose in life is? Okay, good. God desires for you to understand that, to have a clear comprehension of it. And in this chapter, Jesus clarifies to us his purpose, his intention, and how God has pulled it all together in relationship to God himself and his direction for life. Now, for us, Jesus tells us that in order for you to understand your purpose, you need to do some few simple things. And I want you to read our scripture for the day because it really tells us how to discover our purpose. And it goes like this. Read it with me. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. Read it again. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. You see, light is about the ability to see where you're going. We recognize now that visible light is actually electromagnetic radiation whose wavelengths fall within a range to which the human retina responds and we can see. In the 20th century, it became apparent to us that light consists of energy quantas called photons. So I want you to say, I am a photon. 
I am a photon. Isn't that great? I am a photon. You know, wow, that's interesting. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He says, you are a photon. You have this remarkable ability to not only see things that other people may not be able to see, but to show them how to see as well. So today we're going to talk about this understanding of our purpose and our direction in life. And the first thing I want to talk about is when you have dinner with Jesus, Jesus will oftentimes clarify your direction and purpose in life. Or when you have coffee with Jesus, is the term I like to use, because I have coffee with Jesus every morning. That's what I do. I get up and I go out on my deck and I have a cup of coffee and I talk with Jesus for about an hour. That's kind of how it works. And I look into his word and I say, Lord, what's going on here? And try to give direction. And there's specific needs that are before me. Then I lay those before him as well and share with him along that. And that's what I call my coffee with Jesus time. In this particular gospel, we find a group of people having coffee with Jesus. They're sitting with him about to have dinner. So John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. Six days before the Passover, there's the key, Passover is a big deal. Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. And she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And the entire house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the money bag. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. But he said it because he was a thief. And he used to help himself to what was kept inside of the money bag. Leave her alone, Jesus said. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. There was a purpose that she'd save this for, and this was the purpose. It wasn't for her dowry, as many thought it was supposed to be. It wasn't for anything other than simply this, a recognition of Jesus' death that was about to come. Okay, you'll always have the poor among you, he says, but you'll not always have me. And he's talking about that in relationship to the issue of taking care of the poor and spending appropriate funds on yourself and others generously as God gives you opportunity. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came not only because of him, but also because they wanted to see this Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jewish people were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Father, speak to us today as we spend this time reminding ourselves of what you taught John and what you desire to teach us. Open our eyes. Help us to understand. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. So we're at the house of Simon. This is a leper whom Jesus had healed. It's a special dinner honoring Jesus. And Martha is serving him. Now, does that surprise anybody? Anyone who knows Martha from previous time, you know that Martha's 
calling is to serve. Her gift is serving. But at this time, she doesn't come off as agitated or uncomfortable or out of sorts. She's simply doing what she does very, very well. She is serving Jesus and trying to take care of him in this special manner. Interestingly enough, she doesn't expect Mary to come alongside her and help her out. She doesn't call it a task for not being involved here. She seems to have gained a better sense of balance about herself and her calling and is not forcing others to follow it as well. It's interesting that Paul, in his admonition to people, says, says, Slaves, serve your masters. First serve Jesus and then serve those whom are placed in charge over you. So we see this interesting picture that work leads to witness and worship. There's something that goes on in relationship to our purpose and calling in the work situation we're in, even as slaves, that God has an intention and a purpose for it in the midst of these difficult situations. He desires for us to be a witness in our work, and he provides with us the ability to do it when we're there. I was talking to Ken here, who comes up here and has, you have fun every week, you know, and he shares with us the announcements and something special that he does, and we enjoy it. But Ken works as a server over in Fleming's Restaurant, so if you want to go over there and give him a big tip, he's willing to take it. Okay? And you will, because he is, Ken is the best server I have ever been served by. And that's not just because I'm his pastor. He does it to everybody. This guy is remarkable. You watch him going around and you say, what's happening here? I remember Ken coming to me and he was talking and he said, Lee, I just, I feel so uncomfortable with the fact that I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old he is. He's in his 40s. And he said, and I'm still serving people at tables. And he said he began to pray and ask God for direction and ask that God would give him a love for his work. And that's happened and it's obvious And people have come to this church because of Ken's willingness to serve them and to share his witness concerning who Jesus is and how he's worked in his life. Martha was serving. And people recognized this service she was giving was a special service to Jesus. When we're sitting down and having coffee with Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, what have you called me to do? Am I to serve whom, where, how, what, even today? And then there's Lazarus. Lazarus is working as witness. It says he reclined along with Jesus. It's saying that he was right next to Jesus so that people could interact with him and share and ask the simple questions, which always came to Lazarus. Wow, Lazarus, when you died, what did you see? Who did you see? What happened? Did you go right to heaven? They want all these questions. And here's what Lazarus will always do because, see, in my life I have this background which I came out of drugs and all these things and people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Lee, how did this happen and what you were involved in, what went on here? And always I want to say, you know, all that stuff doesn't mean anything. All that means anything is I once was blind but now I see. God changed my life. I want to lead you to Jesus, not to Lee. Lee doesn't matter. And this is Lazarus. Yes, Jesus Raise me from the dead. And Jesus can raise you as well. And, and that's where Lazarus go on. He's always involved in this witness process, and we'll see that continue in his life. And then there's Judas. Judas works at whining. He has the gift of criticism. Okay? Do you see the problem here? Judas is res- 
responding not to God at all, but only to his self. He's caught up in his self-denial. He's caught up in an idea that he is somehow important or special. And that he has insight and understanding that nobody else does. And he's going to let them know exactly what it is and how they need to respond to it. Fifty years later, John feels a need to point out that Judas was the one who brought up this idea that this wonderful time of worshiping Jesus done by Mary, who lays herself out and bows before him and serves him in a special manner of worshiping him as Lord and Savior, says that shouldn't have been done. Instead, they should have taken that perfume, those funds, and it should have been given to the poor so they would have something to eat. Someone here says, think of all the starving kids in Africa. Did you guys ever grow up with your mom talking about the starving kids in Africa? Green beans. I don't know about you, but I never cared much for green beans. This was my mom's line. I get to the green beans. I'm going, I'm not going to eat the green beans. So I'm swishing them around on the plate all over, you know, trying to get through all things. Eat your beans. I don't want to eat my beans. Think of what? The starving kids in Africa. And I would look at them and I said, I said, Mom, give me an envelope and I'll mail it to them. Just before she got ready to take out the switch that Peterson got in trouble for this week. Sorry about that, but she would say, Lee, what she was saying was really inappropriate. And that's what's going on here. There is a purpose, a season, a time, an intention. And God wants to speak to you and tell you what that time is. And Mary understands something that actually nobody else in this room gets. That this is Jesus' final time that they will be able to be together. This is it. It's the last time. The next time she sees him, he will be Savior and Lord, King of Kings. He will be removed from her in a very special way. This is it. And she cries out and breaks open her perfume and begins to pour it upon his head, it tells us in the other section of the Gospels. And after she wipes his head with this perfume and makes it looking good here, makes his hair smell nice, then she moves to his feet and begins to wipe his feet and cleanse them as well and realize she has nothing to cleanse his feet off with, so she takes her hair, lets it down, and begins to wipe his feet with her hair as a recognition that she desires to serve him in whatever way she can. So Mary is working at worship in this case. She is declaring what Jesus is and where Jesus is going. I often tell people, I'm really not a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to follow him wherever he leads me. And whatever that is, I want to make sure that I do it. I want to hear the voice. I want to follow the voice. And I want to gain an understanding of the purpose that he has for me. I want to seize the day. So each morning when we sit down for coffee, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What light will you show me today? Because I recognize that that is well I will discover my purpose. Oftentimes, God will do some special things within the church or structure. This has happened to me all my life. And some phenomenal things will take place. And people will walk up to me and go, wow, Lee, this is incredible. You are so wise. You put all this together. And I really want to say, you're right, I am. But the truth is, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. 
I'm like, well, actually, God just kind of put that all together. And we were step by step by step. And then he went, look. And I went, wow, that's great. And I look like this great tactician. But the truth is, I'm just following Jesus day by day by day. God says, listen to me. Be quiet. Listen to what I have to say. Let's take a look at this little clip that reminds us of simply the need to listen. When we have coffee with Jesus in our evenings or mornings and we sit down and the Lord speaks to us and he says, you need to be involved in, and he clarifies it. You need to stop whining. You need to start worshiping. You need to be involved in this area of service or work. God will speak to you and say, this is what you need to do. If you want to discover your purpose, begin to walk in the light. So the scripture tells us that in order to walk in the light, we have to recognize the one who is light. That's what we're doing. Listening, learning, growing. He's the one who can walk through the darkness and show us the way. We believe. So then we learn how to walk with him. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, walk with the light. Person next to say, walk with the light. Walking with the light. You see, it, it, it's one thing to believe in the light. It's another thing to walk with him. Jesus now walks into Jerusalem. So he leaves this scene where he's at dinner with them, gives them instruction. Dinner is done. The next day, he starts to walk into Jerusalem. And it's a very, very emotional time for Jesus. It's a very emotional time for him. He sees through eyes that are eternal. He now remembers watching the Israelites leave Egypt and coming into the promised land. He has watched them reject the prophets, and he's watched them build this incredible temple to God. He's been with them as they conquer God's enemies and establish truth. And now he sees the sad ending of this nation. No longer will it be God's primary voice for relationship with him. And Luke tells us he begins to cry. He weeps emotionally and powerfully. Oh, Jerusalem Jerusalem, his final walk into Jerusalem, because this is the beginning of the end. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, probably over a million people, over a million people are here now in Jerusalem for this special festival. They heard that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and they took out palm branches And they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus had found a young donkey, and he had sat on it, because it's written, Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. And at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, that these things had been done to him. And now that the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word around them. And many people believed 
because they had heard that he had performed this sign and they went out to meet him. And the Pharisees said to one another, Ah, no, what we've done so far is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has now gone after him. The crowds are crying out for victory. You have to understand, we remind us a few weeks back about the Maccabean victory that took place over the Syrian army. And when this took place, they introduced a special festival called Hanukkah. Jesus had previously shown up at Hanukkah and they tried to get him to proclaim himself as king and victorious and to begin to start the process of militarily putting together the Jewish people to take over all nations, destroy the Romans, and establish the Jewish state as the place where God would reign in and through. The key way in which that Maccabean revolution was stated was through palm branches being laid down to the Victoria person who would be brought in. So once again, they're saying, Jesus, okay, take up arms. There's almost a million people doing this, and the Pharisees see it, and they go, it's done, it's over. He's now going to step up, and we're going to have this big battle with Rome, and we're all going to be killed. Because they did not believe he was the Messiah. They just thought he was another man who would try one more time to overthrow Rome and be defeated. Jesus, however, comes out in a donkey, declaring the fact that he brings peace, not a military focus. But the people flip this around and they begin to say, Hosanna, save us. Lord, give us peace, but bring terrible wrath upon your enemies. We accept you as our king. Now defeat all of those. But Jesus at this time is coming as the original Passover. And he begins to declare, I will set you free, but not in the manner in which you expect. You'll cry out, Hosanna, save us, and I will, but not in the way that you desire for me to save you. Yes, the whole world is responding to him, but he will not reject them entirely. He will instead be the hero that they need him to be, not the hero that they want him to be. He cries out for peace. And while the Jewish leader thinks it's all over, Jesus is trying to say, no, it's just beginning. The next thing that happens, interestingly enough, is after he comes in here, Jesus now goes back to the temple. He does what he'd done at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, some people thought it was the same thing because they don't read it correctly. And he again throws out the money changers, throws out all these people that are involved within the temple structure that are trying to bring in evil and trying to bring in profit instead of his house being a house of prayer. He tosses them all out. Then he stands up, and the Pharisees think this is it. He's going to declare himself as king. And instead, instead, he declares nothing like that at all. It says, Andrew and Philip then come up to him after he leaves the temple, and they say, there's a group of Gentiles who want to talk with you. When that takes place, Jesus does something quite remarkable. At this point in time, he declares that his purpose now has been accomplished. He sees this action as God's defining moment in his life, that his hour has come, that there's no longer any chance to turn back, that the photo now is being developed, and 
What it will show him is himself as a sacrificial lamb hanging on the cross so that all mankind might be able to be saved. When you walk with the light, the photo gets clearer and clearer and clearer, and you begin to understand your destiny. You see, destiny for each one of us is something that God opens up little by little by little, and finally we go, oh my goodness, now I recognize that was my destiny, this is my destiny. This is my purpose. This is my calling. This is God's intention for me. And so we begin to see it. We recognize the one who is light and walks through the darkness, who shows us the way. We believe, and then we learn how to walk with the light. And as we learn how to walk with the light, the photograph gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And what we thought was our destiny is left aside, and we begin to understand what it really is. Let's have a little bit of fun. This is a clip from Forrest Gump. Watch it and enjoy. Get a handle on this. See, he thought that his destiny was the same as all his forefathers. They all died in battle. He was the lieutenant supposed to die in glory, in honor. Yay, I'm ready to die. And Forrest stops him from dying by taking him out of a situation that he didn't want to be taken out of. And that's exactly what God does to us on a regular basis. I say, God, I'm supposed to. And he says, no, you're not. Walk in the light while you have the light with you. So that when the darkness comes, you'll know how to walk. Despite the fact that the light is not there because the light will be within you. And you'll know how to walk with the light. Hmm. You see, once we walk with the light... Once we listen to the light, you'll find yourself walking like the light. It's just what happens. It's what happens in our life. We find ourselves walking in the same manner. And when the darkness hits us then, we just keep walking until the darkness leaves and we begin to comprehend that our destiny was not to die on the battlefield. Our destiny was far greater, far greater. And God has an intention for that. Whether you be a Bethany Hamilton who loses her arm and you say there's no way that she can do what she did with the way she is wrong. She's going to do far more. You go on and on with people that we consider to be crippled or blind or struggling. We begin to discover they have more light than we have. And they better crash their purpose than we do. Because they've learned how to walk with and in the light. How to be photons for God. And to enjoy this wondrous understanding of our purpose. So we have coffee and we talk and God speaks to us. And then we learn to walk with Him. And as we walk with Him, we begin to understand what the walk is like and how it's supposed to be. And then He begins to talk with us. So Jesus responds when Andrew and Phil come to him and says, the Gentiles want to talk with you. And Jesus says, glory to God, the time has come. The hour has come. The time is here. My destiny is about to be fulfilled. The Son of Man will be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And the man who loves his life and clings to his supposed destiny will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In order to live, they needed to die. It's not a comfortable teaching. 
Why? How many of you are in a hurry to die? None of us are. Dying is a difficult, uncomfortable thing. We sing when we all get to heaven, but we think, I hope it's not too soon. Don't we? I hope it doesn't come right away, Lord. Because I have things to do. As if God doesn't know what it is you need to do. But Jesus tells us that our usefulness, our fruitfulness for God is tied to our willingness to surrender our lives, even to die for him. It is in dying, not in doing, that we bear fruit for God. So the seeds that need to die in our life are the seeds of our possessions and the seeds of our priorities and the seeds of our personality. Philippians says it this way, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Who, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. There are two words used for life in the Greek New Testament. One is psyche. Hey, we understand that one. The other one is zoe. Jesus said your psyche life must die in order that your zoe life might live. The life that truly is complete. The spirit life. The intentional life. The destiny life. One must die that the other might leave. That you might find your purpose. You have to find your purpose. Turn to the person next to you and say you have to find your purpose. Do it. You've got to find your purpose. I know that's hard for us, but we've got to find our purpose. And it's, it's interesting that it's, it's a daily thing as well as a yearly thing as well as a final thing. So Jesus' purpose is ding, 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 ding. And now finally he's going, good, it's come to an end. It's done. It's finished. The Gentiles now have come in and the seed will fall. And the result will be billions of people coming to Christ not just the Jewish people, but all people. He will be the Savior of the world, not the Savior just of the Jews. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. My Father will honor the one who serves me. My soul is troubled. I don't want to die. So I say, Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this. Don't love your life. Lose it. Find your purpose. Recognize the seed needs to be planted in order for the fruit to come. Don't just be a seed for God. Be a plant for God. Be a tree for God. Allow yourself to die that you might experience life and fullness of life. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I die on the cross, then all the nations of the world will respond to me. It was in 1967 that Swiss watches were the only great mechanical watches. In fact, 80% of all watches at that time were Swiss-made. And then a funny group came in by the name of Seiko. Remember Seiko, that Japanese group comes in? So Seiko comes into play and they change the paradigm. That's how you look at things. The paradigm is simply how you look at something. The stated purpose of the Swiss watch is to make a beautiful watch that always keeps perfect time. Seiko came in and said, no, no, no. The purpose is so that people might know what time it is. Your purpose is to help people know what time it is. And so they began to make a quartz watch 
that kept perfect time. And it changed everyone's understanding. At that time, the first watch sold for $1,200. Same price as a Toyota Corolla at that time, okay? In case you're wondering what a Toyota Corolla sold for in 1967. $1,200. But only six years later, Texas Instrument introduced the digital analog watch. I still remember it. Yes, I am that old. Okay? And it sold for under $20. And one year later, they began to sell for $10. $1,200 to $10. Changed everything when purpose was discovered. And that's what happens in our lives. When we begin to understand God's purpose, His intention... The light shines, we get that aha, and we begin to move and be moved by God in a special way. See, Jesus won't be the hero that the people want him to be. He'll be the hero that he needs to be. He won't just establish himself as the military king. Instead, he will establish himself as the king of kings and lord of lords. He won't just save the Jews. He will save everybody and allow every person to have a relationship with God that won't end when this physical life ends here but that all might be able to experience eternal life forever. Father, glorify your name. A voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it. And I'll glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and they said, it had thundered. Some said an angel had spoken to him, but Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. The crowd spoke up and said, We have heard from the law the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Walk in the light while the light is with you. So you'll understand the purpose the intention, the direction before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so you may become what? Children of the light. Walk in the light while you have you may become children of the light. So he says, walk in the light. Secure people are into towels to serve others. Insecure into titles to serve themselves. Secure people are people conscious, but insecure or position conscious. The insecure want to add value to themselves, while the secure want to add value to others. Walk in the light while you have the light. You'll know the right thing to do. Do it. Be children of the light. And even after Jews, after Jesus had performed so many sights and signs in their presence, they still wouldn't believe in him. They still wouldn't believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah said elsewhere, he's blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn so that I could heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about him. But at the same time, many who were among the leaders did believe in him. But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't openly acknowledge their faith because they were frightened that they would be put out of the synagogue. And here's the key term, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Walk in the light while you have the light so that you might receive God's light into your life. In the plagues that 
God brings upon Pharaoh in Egypt. It's, it's always interesting. One plague always stood out to me, and it was the plague of the frogs. Remember the frog plague? There's frogs everywhere, and Pharaoh is frustrated as all get out. He's like, okay, this is it. He calls in Moses, get rid of the frogs. Moses says, you're ready to listen to God. I'm ready to listen to God. Get rid of the frogs. And Moses says, when do you want me to get rid of them? What would your answer have been? Now, what was Pharaoh's answer? Tomorrow. His ego was so big, he just couldn't accept it. And he said, I just want one more night with the frogs. And in your life, as we laugh, we come to God and we say, God, I really need you to take care of this plague in my life. And God says, when do you want me to take care of it? You know what you usually say? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord. I've got to take tomorrow. That's soon enough. And that's our struggle. And Jesus is saying, walk in the light while you have the light so you might become children of the light. Today, now, while you have opportunity. There were two engineers. One was from USC. One was from UCLA. You can figure out what's going on here, right? They're in a yard, standing by a flagpole. They're discussing something. And a student from Biola, thank you very much, happened by and he asked, what are you guys arguing about? And they said, well, we replied the guy from the USC. We're discussing how best to determine the height of this flagpole and what equation we should use to determine it. And the biology student said, well, that shouldn't be too hard. He took the pole, he laid it down on the ground, pulled out his tape measure, declared it's 10 feet, 6 inches long. As he walked away, the engineer from USC turns to the guy from UCLA and says, isn't that just like a guy from Biola? You asked him for height and he gives you length. You see, sometimes it's not about truth, it's about who shares the truth. Jesus is saying, walk in the light while you have the light. Will you accept reality or you'll continue to live in your fantasy? Come to the light so you can see and know or stay in darkness. The result's up to you. It's not up to me. I'm not going to judge you. He says, but my words will judge you by the very fact that they are truth. And if you did not choose to live by them, then your life will respond to them. And you'll get the resulting result. Jesus cries out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only. But the one who sent me, the one who looks at me has seen the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but doesn't keep them, I don't judge them. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Jesus came to what? Save the world. So I came to save it, not to judge it. But there is a judge for the one who rejects me and doesn't accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them on that last day. Because I didn't speak on my own. I only spoke as the Father sent me and commanded me to say. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So I've said exactly what the Father told me to say. Trust that the light is showing you. Trust what the light is showing you while he says it. Memorize the truth that he has shared while he says it. So when the darkness comes, you can hang on to that truth until the darkness leaves, because you've learned how to not just walk with the light, you've learned how to walk in the light, and you've actually learned how to be the light, a child of the light. Don't try to be good. Be good. Don't appear to be truthful. Speak the truth. Don't try to build a good reputation. Choose character. Those who walk in the light become children of the light. 
And then we learn how to see things that are unseen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How to conquer by yielding. How to lead by serving. How to gain recognition by seeking humility. How to gain freedom by becoming the slave of God. How to gain strength by accepting our weakness. How to become rich by giving away everything I have. And perhaps most difficult of all, how to experience life by dying to ourself. Choosing not to live a psyche life, but instead choosing to live a Zoe life. Because that which appears to be death to us is very, very often life and reality. Worship team, why don't you come up as we close? It's a great story. I love this book. It's called Written in Blood, written by Robert Coleman. And he shares this true story about a little boy and his sister. As they were gathered together at the hospital, the doctor began to explain to the boy who had had the same disease some two years earlier that he had recovered from fully, that the only chance for recovery for his sister was a transfusion since they had the exact same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. So the doctor turns and he thinks he's explained everything really well. And he said, would you give your blood to your sister, Mary? And Johnny's lip begins to tremble. And he says, for my sister, yes. And so the doctor wheels him into the room and they begin the transfusion. And after it's over, the little boy turns to the doctor and he says this. <laughs> Doctor, when do I die? Because he thought that if he gave his life, that it meant his sister would live, but he would die. And Jesus tries to tell us over and over and over that life is about taught, caught, and bought, if you want simple terms that I love. Okay, and that is, while the light is here, he wants to teach us about the light. And then while the light is here, I walk with it and I catch how to do it as I see the light and the way he does it. And then lastly, I find myself so bought into the light that I begin to walk just like the light. And I become a child of the light. So what's the scripture we started with? Believe in the light. While you have the light, so that you might become children of the light. Father, today we thank you that you are a God who gives us light and not darkness. That you are a God who calls us to destiny and not simply to defeat. Not to suicide, but to a sense that something greater is ahead of us, despite the fact that right now it feels like something far, far worse. And today, Lord, we come to you saying, oh, Lord, we admit that we're sinners. We tend to live in darkness, not because so much we want to, but because we keep choosing to. We'd ask that you might help us to believe in you, to believe in the light and to respond to that light and begin to walk in it, to receive the cleansing forgiveness that you give us, to accept the removal of shame and guilt. And to rejoice in the joy and peace that you want to pour into our life. We confess you as Lord, as Savior. And we say, Father, show us the light. So we might walk in the light. And help us, Lord Jesus, to become children 
of the light. Thank you as you do. But Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, of your peace.